This is Channel 253. You can ring my... Shane Bell. I'm Marguerite, and I want you to move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. You'll like it. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Dot com. I'm Marguerite from MoveToTacoma.com. And I just want to say thank you for coming. We're very excited tonight to have the panel, Nate Bowling again moderating. Um, I just want to take a quick second to say thank you to some people. First, starting with the people here at Black Kettle Bites and Brew, the amazing staff who shut down the whole place for us every time we asked them to, and we're really grateful. Also, special thank you to producer Doug, handling the audio here tonight. Adam Weigel from Bootstrapper Studios, live streaming this on Facebook for all the peeps that couldn't get tickets. Um, special thank you to all the people behind the scenes who organize these every month. We all volunteer. Uh, obviously, Nate Bowling, his Mrs. Hope Teague Bowling, Lindsay Stevens, uh, Metro Parks Commissioner Eric Hamburg, and not pictured Matt Martinez from KNKX. So thank you to everybody that puts this together. Did I forget anybody? Yeah. Um, also, this is a uh, Channel 253-influenced uh, production, so if you're not listening to the podcasts, there are several podcasts. All the hosts are here. Uh, Jenny Jacobs from Citizen Tacoma, who's been interviewing all of the candidates for all of the offices. God bless her. Um, Nate Bowling, who does Nerd Farmer, national conversations through a local lens. Where is Hope? Where did Hope go? Hope, who just started the Interchangeable White Ladies podcast. And if you're a white lady that wants to be a better white lady, you should be listening to that. I guess be less basic. Be less basic. I'm very excited for the pumpkin spice latte episode dropping on Thursday. And um, the Flanders B-team peeps aren't here, are they? They're recording right now. They're recording right now. Oh, Kevin's here. So if you're into the Sounders, you should be listening to that podcast. Have I forgotten everybody? We have so many podcasts now. Oh, uh, yes. So you heard it here first, um, the Taco Man podcast, which will be uh, an episode-by-episode review of Tacos in Tacoma, uh, will be debuting later this week. So we're covering all the tough issues. Thank you for coming. I just want to say uh, shout-out to my dude over here. He's like, we need that one. It's a man of action there. So good evening, everybody. Uh, teacher voice. Thank you all for being here this evening. Adult Civics Happy Hour started out of a need we felt in the community. Essentially, like, we see news story after news story about how uninformed adults are about civic issues with national issues. And there's so much here happening locally that's not being covered and not being discussed that, like, we felt the need to, to, to fill. We felt it was a vacuum. And I have to say, this is our fifth one of these, and I'm just, I'm really thankful that all of you choose to be here uh, month after month and have these conversations. But the next thing is, based on these conversations, starting to act and starting to do. And so we're gonna talk about immigration policy today. And for tech reasons, I have my PowerPoint behind me, but like, the tagline for tonight's show is immigration policy, because damn it, they're our neighbors and we should act like it. And so, we're gonna talk today and have two rounds of conversation. The first round of conversation is going to be kind of a national, regional, kind of what's going on, what's the what. And then the second round will be hyper-local, what's happening here in Tacoma, and what can and should be done. Uh, I'm going to remind you all that we do Q&A, so if you have questions throughout the time, uh, Hope and 
Where's Lindsay? Hope and Lindsay have index cards, correct? Okay, so Hope and Lindsay have index cards on your tables where you can turn in questions to them for the Q&A session. Uh, also, we're taking questions via Twitter, and I always do this wrong. Hashtag, is it? When you guys are on the mic, you'll be afraid to pretty much. There we go, ACHH253. I always get the order wrong on that. All right, enough of my blathering. Thanks for being here. Immigration's a really important issue to me. I've dedicated three episodes of my podcast, the Nerf Armor Podcast, talking about immigration issues because it impacts my work at Lincoln High School in my classroom. And so today we're gonna have a conversation about immigration policy and what's happening. Uh, and one reminder for our panelists, uh, we have a shame bell, ring it please. So adult civics happy hour is a jargon-free zone. It's a plain talk environment. So I'll ask uh, the reporter and the attorney to not slide into jargon, please. So we were originally gonna have a lady named Sandy Restrepo with us, and Sandy's an activist from Burien. Uh, she's actually the most recent guest on the last Nerd Farm episode. She had to uh, bail at the last minute, but Tim Warden Hertz from the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project yes. has stepped up. And by the way, for curious, that's... That's Warden like the prison. And hurts like the rental car. Okay. Um, and Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, we call it NERP, but it's NWERP if you're reading it, uh, is one of the most important organizations helping uh, people deal with immigration issues here in the city of Tacoma and around the region. Our other guest is Will James. He's a South Sound reporter for KNKX. Uh, new to the region, also a Nerd Farmer guest. And so what I'd like to do today is, is if they could just kind of walk us through what's happening regionally with immigrants and uh, Will, before you, we, before we started, you were talking about the raids that ICE was doing this week. Could you talk about those, please? Yeah, I have a story out tomorrow, actually. Um, first off, I'm not used to talking to people who can, like, get at me. It's, it's, it's a little unsettling. <laughs> you do this every day? Every day with 17-year-olds. Wow. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, so I have a story coming out tomorrow about something called Operation, <clears throat> Operation Safe City, which is a press release that ICE put out last week saying that they had completed this massive nationwide enforcement action uh, targeting sanctuary cities across the country. They say they arrested uh, 500 people over the course of four days, including 26 in Washington and seven in Oregon. And this caught my eye because I'd never seen ICE come out and put out a, a press release saying that we went after sanctuary cities intentionally before. It was really unusual. And the press release was full of um, kind of, you know, calling out mayors of sanctuary cities and counties that have sanctuary policies. And it initially said that there were 33 arrests in Seattle, which really caught my eye. But it turned out that there were, you know, the arrests were scattered around the region, places like Lake Stevens, like Cedro Woolley, that have no sanctuary policies on the books. Nothing like that, that could even be described as a sanctuary policy. After some reporting, I talked to actually uh, Matt Adams from Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, the legal director, and it seemed like this was a really strange occurrence of ICE essentially conducting a normal week of enforcement and then branding it as an operation against sanctuary cities. What we've never really seen before is the federal government calling out their local partners in law enforcement and saying we are essentially punishing you or 
trying to make it seem like we're punishing you for having sanctuary policies in place. And it was another example of just kind of this, this weird, constantly shifting environment that we're in. You asked about the state of immigration regionally and locally. And if I had to sum it up, I'd say it's a state of constant flux where advocates, where attorneys, where immigrants are constantly adapting to these surprising and sometimes contradictory announcements by the federal government. In this one press release, you have ICE saying, we're cra cracking down in sanctuary cities, but they're not all sanctuary cities, and this wasn't really a crackdown, and this was sort of a normal week for us, but we're also cracking down. And that sort of messaging is just something that I think people are struggling to adapt to like on an hour-by-hour -hour basis and a day-by-day -day basis. So jocular bravado from the Trump administration disrupting people's lives. Uh, before you, you jump to where you want to jump, could you talk for the room, what is a sanctuary city? Uh, why does that designation matter for cities? Uh, and why does being a sanctuary city make sense given the role of local government versus federal government like responsibilities? That's a great question. Um, so a sanctuary city, I think, is a little bit of a moving target. Um, I, I don't think there's sort of an agreed upon exact definition of what a sanctuary city is. Um, I think the, the sort of concept behind sanctuary cities uh, comes from sort of limiting involvement of local law enforcement in the enforcement of, of federal immigration law. And so, um, I, you know, and, and I think some cities have passed sanctions. And so I guess the first important, and I think I'm, I'm sort of a, I, I'm, I'm not a, like a huge sanctuary city fan because I think that um, it, it actually sends sort of some of the wrong messages, right? So I think... Um, it, sanctuary cities aren't sanctuaries, right? Uh, as sort of maybe you can see sort of from that announcement, but, but you know, federal law enforcement can go where they sort of please. Uh, and so calling your city a sanctuary city, I think both sends a message that you're doing more than what you actually are, right? So, so folks living in your city are not actually safe. Um, now I think that, but I think that the, the sort of concepts behind it are actually, I mean, and I think the, the sort of the collateral is that I, I think that they are overstated by the federal government, by the right, as as sort of doing all this stuff, right, and stopping enforcement when they don't. Um, and, and I think what they do is they make communities safer, right? And so I think you can do that through lots of different ways. Uh, and by calling yourself a different name, uh, there were some attempts at different names sort of tried out over the last, the first few months of the administration. Uh, you know, I think Freedom Cities, right? There was this, there's sort of like a libertarian element to some of this, right? So, you know, not having local and state government pay for what the federal government should pay for, right? I mean, that's sort of a state's rights, you know, you can sort of get behind that maybe no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. Um, and so, because, you know, the concept is that, you know, local law enforcement has an interest of having the trust of the people in their community, right? You want people in your community to feel um, able to call local law enforcement if they see something, if something happens to them. Uh, and having the local law enforcement be working together with the federal government, right, is, is only gonna further decrease that trust, right, which is already um, really problematic. And, and, and actually, I think one of the many, of the many terrifying things uh, that has happened um, the, the the communication and, and the sort of and, and some of it is 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 a sense and some is is very very real of of, of fear uh, that has happened in the immigrant community 
about sort of communication between local law enforcement and federal law enforcement has led to sort of dramatic decreases in the reporting of crime, right? So there's some sort of horrifying stats out of several cities that they've run, right, where in, in heavily Latino neighborhoods, right, reporting of domestic violence have dro has dropped in like a third, right, over the course of several months, right? And that's not that, you know, like all of a sudden there's no more domestic violence in those neighborhoods, right? It's that people are no longer calling the police. And so, you know, I, I think that there's some very, very good reasons uh, for putting in policies in place that, that have that effect, right? And so I think that there's sort of a couple different ones, I think putting in place ones that limit local law enforcement actually doing the role of, uh, of uh, immigration enforcement. And I think there's other ones which involve not using your local jails, right, to house people for longer than what they were, if they were there on a criminal charge that, you know, they, they, they serve whatever time or, or they're, they're there on, on a bail, they pay the bail, they get released. Um, and, and so, and, and ICE has been really pushing as part of the sanctuary argument, um, the idea that you should keep people longer than what they're, what they're sort of allowed to, actually under the Constitution. There have been a couple strong cases um, out our way. So, so we brought a case with partners in, in Yakima recently and one in federal court. There was a case in Oregon um, a few years ago um, where the courts held that it was unconstitutional to hold someone, right? It's actually kind of a remarkable thing, right, to think that you could just grab someone and put them in uh, and put them in criminal jail, right, uh, without any probable cause-based warrant, right? That's sort of one of the stronger protections in the Bill of Rights is that, you know, it, it seems like kind of makes sense, right? The government can't grab you, uh, throw you in, in jail without what's, you know, probable cause, right? It's a sort of, you know, concept. The judge gets to look, review your case. Um, and, uh, and so what, but what jails were doing is they were, you know, I would pay my bail, and then they would say, no, we're not going to release you. Uh, we're going to let immigration hold you um, based on what, what immigration calls an administrative warrant, which is a misnomer because it's just like you ask the ICE officer next to you, like, hey, buddy, like, can you sign my piece of paper here? And they call that a warrant, which is not what a warrant is, which is when a judge signs something saying it's based on probable cause. So, uh, so yeah, so, so I think that's another piece, right? And, and there was a great quote in, in some article I read about this. Um, which is, you know, the federal government is saying, hey, look, local law enforcement, like, just play with us. Like, we're both on the same side. Like, hold these people for a couple days for us while we come and get them. Like, that's going to be good for everyone. Um, you know, we're friends. Um, and the article sort of punchline, right, was like, friends don't make friends break the Constitution, uh, which I, I thought was a good line. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think sanctuary cities in, involve a lot of things. Um, I see sort of two major pieces um, that, are, that are really key to the policy, right? And again, you can call it whatever you'd like, um, but, but being both keeping actual on the ground, uh, you know, policemen from, from doing the work of immigration, right? Going, asking about immigration papers uh, and, and, and arresting people and also on the jail side. So I'm wondering, well, I'm, well, sorry, I'm, I would retroactively invoke the shame bell, but I won't do that right now. Um, I, we're feeling a lot of questions about just like having like a real defined sanctuary city and people are asking like, do we go, hey, sanctuary city or does someone else like put that on us? Like how does that happen? So we all, all we've kind of like, we're a sanctuary city, but I think there's some confusion about like- Well, Tacoma's not a right. sanctuary city for the record. Right, well, right. Seattle. Right. But right. like, what is that? So when we're talking about that, I think people want to know like- How does that is happen? Is there a concise definition and concise how definition. does that happen? So, so I, 
not an exact concise definition. It happens because people organize and then okay. politicians pass ordinances that make it happen, right? So, um, so that's how it happens. Uh, I think that King County and Seattle have passed, you know, sanctuary ordinances. Burien has a sanctuary ordinance um, where they where they have specific policies around their jails, around uh, the local police not playing that role, right? Tacoma doesn't have those policies in place as a written policy, right? So they're a welcoming city, uh, which um, is, is also not terribly defined. There's a coalition of welcoming cities, but it doesn't have the same sort of sense of direct policy around enforcement that, that a sanctuary city does. And Will, before you jump in, just what, yeah. so Sandy Restrepo was gonna join us tonight, and she was gonna tell you the story that's happening in Burien, uh, on the most recent episode of my show, she talks about what's happening in Burien. Essentially, Burien's a sanctuary city. Uh, they passed an ordinance, and now there are right-wingers collecting signatures. Well, there were right-wingers collecting signatures to repeal that ordinance, and you can hear that story on the episode of Nerf Farmer. Well, go ahead. Yeah, so one thing that's so interesting about the Trump administration's effort to kind of strong-arm sanctuary cities to loosen their policies is that in the Northwest, you know, the sheriffs control the jails. And correct me if I'm wrong, but most, if not all, of the sheriff's departments in the Northwest, because of these federal court cases we have out here, actually don't comply with ICE requests to hold people in jail. At the last happy hour, actually, the public information officer for Pierce County Sheriff's Department made that exact point. And this has been, so the Trump administration has you know, threatened to withhold funding from cities. That's being fought in the courts right now. They put out this shame list uh, earlier this year of cities that they say aren't good partners on immigration enforcement. It was a weird list. King County was on it, Snohomish County was on it, Pierce County wasn't on it. They all basically have the same policies in place. It was kind of random. Um, but you know what's, what's interesting about it is that you're trying to shame and pressure these local governments to play ball with ICE and here in the Northwest, you know, it's a sanctuary region, you know, by, by their definition in some ways, in, in pertaining to holding people in jail. And the sheriffs, liberal and conservative, Republican and Democrat, all say that they do that because of a federal court decision, and they're not gonna change it. So this effort to kind of strong arm, you know, jail officials here seems kind of futile. Two points that I think are really important to make about sanctuary cities, and these are things that I've come to recently. One, the entire state of Oregon has been a sanctuary state for about 20 years, and it flies in the face of all the arguments from the right you hear about how like, crime rises, like Oregon in every possible way has below average crime compared to the country. Uh, and two, frankly, and this is again from the Sheriff's Department, it's not the job of local police to enforce federal law. And so these are just people in the room right now. These are two talking points, two, two ideas like to take with you right now. Like it's not the job of Tacoma Police Department, Pierce County Sheriff, King County Sheriff to enforce federal law. That's the federal government's job. And for like your small, those of you that have that small government conservative uncle who's like, oh, states' rights, like that's the argument to make. You were gonna say. Yeah, no, Thir 30 years in Oregon, right? So 19 Sorry, 30 years in Oregon, my bad. 1987, um, and, and that came apart because local, you know, there was, there was a, a big push after an awful local, like an incident where a raid in, in Oregon, in, in Woodburn, where, where local police played a huge role in setting up roadblocks and funneling people into, 
into then INS, right, to, to, to be detained, right? And so that's going to be on the ballot in, in Oregon, unfortunately, for repeal this year, and, and it's going to be a big fight um, in Oregon, but, but it's hugely important. Well, I'm wondering, so Tacoma's migrant population, immigrant population, is different than other parts of the states. Uh, could you talk, when I interviewed you before, you were talking about refugee resettlement. Mm. Can you talk about what's happening with refugee resettlement here in the region? Yeah, Washington is the fifth, maybe now the fourth destination from refu for refugees in the country behind New York, California, Texas, I want to say. Uh, I think actually last count, they, we were the fourth. Um, we are, um, and, and they come from really all over. I think we have a huge Ukrainian refugee population here, an immense one. Um, if you go to South King County, you see a lot of refugees from Somalia. Um, and uh, here in the South Sound in Tacoma, you have a huge Cambodian, uh, Southeast Asian population that were resettled back in the 70s and 80s by the Episcopal Church. And to this day, there is at least one Episcopal Southeast Asian church in Tacoma as you know, part of that. Um, it's really interesting. I've, I've done a lot of reporting on this around the Trump administration's travel bans, which have affected refugees, and not just refugees from the targeted countries, but all the entire US refugee program. When you go to the offices that resettle refugees here in Washington state, I went to the one that's run by the Episcopal Church. You go to a kind of old looking church on a side street in Seattle's little Saigon neighborhood, and you go into the basement, and there's this office of people. It looks like a newspaper office from like the 19th. There's just like filing cabinets, and there's like dust, and there's like five people working there, and they're, you know, some of them are part timers, some of them are volunteers, some of them are church employees. But these are the people who are in charge of this government program to resettle people from other countries here in the region. And what's crazy about it is that they're in charge of taking people who get off a plane at SeaTac and have to learn English, have to get a social security card, have to get a driver's license, have to get a job. They only get money that carries them for a couple months, and then they're on their own. And it's the job of people working these tiny offices around the region to get them up to speed, to be fully functioning Americans, self-sufficient you know, self uh, in a matter of weeks. It, it just blew my mind. But Washington State is one of the prime destinations for that kind of work. Tim, could you talk about the work that NERP does and perhaps if folks want to help out, what they can do to help you all? Sure. Um, so NERP is a statewide organization. We have four offices across Washington State, um, Seattle, Tacoma, Wenatchee, and Granger. We do a lot of direct services, so we represent a lot of people. Um, I think we helped over 20,000 people last year. Um, we, and, and, and our work here in Tacoma is focused um, 
mostly on folks who are detained at the Northwest Detention Center. So we do a lot of work both, both with folks who don't have attorneys, trying to give them information and orientation, um, and then from that, um, really uh, representing uh, and referring to pro bono, other pro bono attorneys, um, a lot of other folks who are detained. Our organization also does a lot of community education events. We've been sort of uh, running at 150% the last few weeks, trying to do a lot of uh, outreach around, uh, around DACA, um, both around um, renewals and also around sort of next steps for folks. Um, for the room, in case they're not super oh, Sorry, hip. DACA. What, DACA. Yeah. So, it's, I, I over feel there like sleeping. I, Over there know, sleeping. DACA. But um, so DACA is uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, it is a program, um, a sort of uh, offshoot of prosecutorial discretion, which is something that the executive branch can do in cases. And so, like, not arresting you for jaywalking, um, uh, that uh, Obama put in place in 2012 uh, that provides for two years of a work permit uh, and also of um, sort of protection from deportation uh, for folks who came uh, uh, to the United States when they were younger and have gone to school and graduated and, and have um, um, very, very limited uh, criminal records. So... Um, so that's what that's what DACA is. Uh, and uh, September 5th, Trump announced that he was ending it uh, after a bunch of pressure from Republican governors. Boo, boo. And um, and and so you know, all of a sudden, right, this sort of um, group of people who have it's about 800,000 people across the country, uh, close to 20,000 people in the state of Washington. Um, you know, all of a sudden left, right, uh, with, with the prospect of, of their work authorization that has allowed them to, to, to get jobs, to, to access uh, different uh, benefits is, is going to be cut off. And so, um, so there is a reapplication deadline uh, for folks whose uh, work permit is ending prior to March 5th. And that application deadline is this Thursday, October 5th. Um, we have open walk-ins in our offices. Uh, we have through... Uh, coordination with a number of different organizations. We have money available to help with the renewal fees, which are fairly expensive. So if you know folks who, who fit in that period, right, it's only sort of a six month, or now it's about a five month period, right, of folks where they're, um, they're expiring, you know, please, please, please send them to, to us or other folks who can help them fill out those applications and get them overnighted to immigration right away. We'll go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, just something to add to that is, um, Speaking of legal work for people who are detained at the Northwest Detention Center, if you go inside the Northwest Detention Center, it looks like a jail. The people wear jumpsuits. There's like this waiting area. You have to go through all these doors to talk to people. Um, when you are in the middle of an immigration hearing, you're standing in front of a judge. There's a prosecutor on the other side. But because an immigration violation is a civil violation and not a crime, you're not guaranteed an attorney if you can't afford one. So in a lot of cases, these hearings are a judge, a prosecutor, and the person who's facing deportation representing themselves. And if you could imagine how overwhelming that might be, uh, it's, I mean, it, that kind of struck me in my reporting about the Northwest Detention Center. So, um, you know, it, it, in some cases, and you could argue that the punishment is harsher than jail. I've heard that argued before because you're- I would make that argument. 
Um, Wait, can we talk about why it's worse than jail? Well, you are, your family can visit you in jail. If you're deported to Central America, you are sent away from your family forever, essentially, to a country that you may or may not want to be in. <laughs> you, you obviously don't if you left there. Um, and to, to face a hearing like that without an attorney just, um, I think, strikes a lot of people as strange. And that, that's what makes legal work like that so, so important. Yeah, and that, so about 80 to 85% of the people at the Northwest Detention Center do not have a lawyer. Um, it's a pretty sort of horrifying stat. Uh, it is also remarkably different, the results that folks have um, with or without a lawyer, right? And, and, you know, this is under sort of existing sort of awful immigration laws. Um, you're about 1,000% more likely to win your case uh, with a lawyer than without one, right? It makes... Is, is that... So, I, yeah. that's not a made-up stat, is it? No, no, that's real. That's real. Yeah, it's actually really... It's a really, you know, sort of pretty good statistic um, in terms of sort of quality of statistics. So, in New York City, um, they, they had a similar situation, right? Very, very few people represented. Um, and, and New York City actually guaranteed representation for all New York City residents who got detained. It was a pretty uh, impressive uh, move, I'm sure, after much organizing uh, in the city. And, uh, and so they have statistics, right? Sort of a before and after, right? So, so when folks weren't represented, and then everyone represented, right? And so that's a sort of a pure statistics, right? So, so I can tell you what our success rate is, but, but we're in this situation where we're, we're sort of forced to triage to some extent, right? So they weren't. Every single person got a lawyer, right? So that meant people who who maybe weren't fighting their case, right? Who were just like, look, like I I know that I don't under the immigration laws, I don't really have much of a chance. Being detained is so hard for me. Like I'm I'm out, right? I, I just want to I just want to go. Maybe I don't actually want to go, but under the situation, I just want to go. Um, and and with those stats, right? It was a three percent success rate before. It was about a thirty percent success rate after when everyone was represented, right? So so it's a pretty good statistic. Um, and, and obviously, 30% is still sort of awful, right? That, that people who want to stay, right? Only, only less than a third are able to. But, but that's a remarkable difference, right? You think about 3%, right? I mean, that's what that is. And, and those are under the same laws, right? So you think about what a difference it makes, right? When you have someone who knows what they're doing, who's standing next to you, who's able to make the arguments, the laws actually would protect people, um, or at least more people, many more people, um, if that happens, right? And so... I mean, you know, that, that is one reason I think it's, it's, it's really important. Um, and that's actually another piece that, that NERP does is we do impact litigation um, around many different things. Um, you know, I talked about the, the, the case in Yakima around, around uh, jails holding people for longer, but, but one, a, a set of cases that we've been doing for a long time is, is the right to counsel for, uh, for folks in immigration hearings. And so, you know, we, we for the first time ever, uh, we're with partners, won a case uh, getting the right to counsel for folks with mental competency issues, right? So, um, you know, before three years ago, uh, if you had mental competency issues and couldn't understand um, what was happening in your hearing, you were still your own lawyer. Um, and, uh, and, and so finally, um, you know, we were able to win that suit. And so now the federal government is actually forced to pay for lawyers for folks with mental competency issues uh, in detention. And, and we have an ongoing suit around the right to counsel for kids, right? So, so kids, um, you know, five years old are their own lawyers in immigration hearings because, of course, they can figure that out. Um, actually, one of, one, of the, one of my sort of 
um, favorite slash awful parts of that is that the the expert witness that the government put forward, and one of the expert witnesses they put forward in the case was one of the chief immigration judges. So he's one of the sort of head immigration judges in the country. Um, and he, uh, under oath, uh, testified that that he's taught three and four-year-olds immigration law. Um, and that um, and that it just, it takes a little bit of time to teach them immigration law, but they can get it. Um, which, which made me feel a little bit bad about my profession, um, but um, is incredibly outrageous. So, so that case continues. Um, we, we will continue that fight, and, and we hope to be able to take it sort of further, right, to include, to include everyone. Um, will, you mentioned you have a story tomorrow, uh, but I forgot to mention where you work. So you work at the NPR station that does not welcome anonymous Nazis on the air. Uh, too soon? Too, too soon? Too soon? So uh, plug your station, plug your work, please. Yeah, so I am the South Sound reporter at KNKX Public Radio. We, uh, I work out of Tacoma. I cover the South Sound, as I said. Um, we have offices in Tacoma and Seattle, and we take covering the South Sound very seriously. Do you live in Tacoma? I don't yet, yet. But I, when I moved here, I wasn't the South Sound reporter, so. Uh, uh, our director of content, my boss's boss, uh, Matt Martinez, is a Tacoma resident and is on me to cover Tacoma all the time. He doesn't have to be, but he's, he's really into it too. So yeah, we just finished our pledge drive. If you donated, thank you very much. If you didn't- You're welcome. You're, uh, if you didn't, you're here too. So we're going to take a very brief three-minute break for a shift change, and we're going to bring up a new crew to talk about Tacoma Focus issues. But before we do that, show the gentleman some love, please. Give him a round of applause. All right. So refill your beers. Refill your beers or coffee or cans of wine, whatever the case may be. And in three minutes, we're up. So I'm joined up here on stage now by three local experts to talk about immigration stuff here in Tacoma. And can I just say to the room, one thing that I love is, is that some of you have active listening faces, and when you're hearing things you don't like, you're like. <laughs> and so, like, God bless you for that. It means you have a heart. And so what I'm gonna say is, is that these folks, hopefully, are gonna tell you how you can act about these issues locally. And so on the panel now, I have three guests, four guests, um, and I'm going to just kind of run down the line and ask them to introduce themselves and their organizations. So I have Vanna Singh, I have Cynthia Vasquez, and I have Luis and Estrella. And so each one of you, just what are your organizations and what work do you do? Go. My name is Vanna Singh. I'm with Tacoma Healing Awareness Community, and we serve the folks who are formerly incarcerated, and we do a lot of uh, immigration and incarceration work. And my name is Cynthia Ijan Vasquez. I'm a co-organizer with the Washington Dream Coalition, a youth-led and documented-led advocacy organization across the state that advocates for progressive immigration policies that benefit all of us. Hi, everyone. My name is Estrella Murray, and I'm the co-founder um, of Tacoma Migrant Justice. And we work Estrella, on, you got to hold it. Hold and it. we work on, um, sorry, we work on uh, addressing issues that um, are lacking, like such as resources with um, Know Your Rights presentations and um, helping out with legal defense um, or community defense. So, um. 
my name is Luis Garcia, and I'm the co-founder of Tacoma Migrant Justice also. And yeah, like you say, uh, we don't do this work, and also that we cannot like create this connection with the community. And so, I, a very simple question to me, but like an obvious question is, is how is the current political moment impacting immigrants and migrants, both undocumented and documented, here in the city of Tacoma? All of you, or one of you, or some of you, go it's for it. It's creating a lot of tension and fear in the community where you don't see anybody out in the community anymore. Could, could you talk about, so I feel like one of the things that goes unspoken is, is that when we talk about immigrant issues, uh, many people immediately go to Hispanic Latino, but that's not the community you come from. So can you talk about your experience personally? Yes, I am from Cambodia, and our different struggle is that we're refugees, and we were invited here, but uh, due to the oppression and the survival skills that we had to use to survive these poor streets, uh, we were criminalized for it, and so now the people are paying for it, being incarcerated for a long period of time, and due to being incarcerated for over 365 days, you lose your status, and then you are vulnerable. You can get deported anytime. I, I think that's an important point that I, people aren't aware of. So if somebody who is documented and has refugee status is incarcerated for over a year, they lose their status? Okay. And that's, that's real and happening in our community. Yes. Others? And I think it's important to also note, Nate, I don't know if you know the statistic, but 26% of undocumented folks here in Washington State are from the API community. And so that's a significant portion, and a lot of organizations don't do a good job at making sure that we're connected with those families, right? API, okay, sorry, sorry, it's okay. It's okay. Asian we're Pacific Islander, so the Asian folks, the Islander folks. It's all good, Hope. Well, and, and, and again, I just, just moderator's privilege and a point to make really fast. I feel like oftentimes I say the word immigrant and people imagine, you know, somebody coming from Guadalajara or somebody from Oaxaca, but like immigrants come in every color, shape, and size. And the white folks, there's undocumented white folks walking around America today. Um, there's undocumented blacks walking around the United States and undocumented APIs. So, so like, we are neighbors. And like, I, I don't care. Personal privilege here. Um, I don't care about your immigration status if you're a good neighbor, and I don't care about your immigration status if you're a bad student or a good student, you're still my student. Sorry, I'm done. More. So since the new policies of immigration, uh, our community have been facing uh, like kind of more, more fear, and especially because like the white supremacy, they have targeted them. And people like kind of afraid to go out, and especially in the war side, when they're, you know, when the, the co-workers, I hear a story about one of my friends, uh, one, of, one of his co-workers came to him and he said, you know what, uh, I guess I'm not gonna see you anymore. And he asked him, how come? Say, might you, might you get deported some, uh, soon? And for, for some people that's kind of like maybe a joke, but for us it's not, you know, like living, living with a fray since you came here and also like, people like kind of like take advantage of that. It's kind of like, I don't know, some, I guess like people don't have a heart, don't have feelings, but that's, that's I guess that's a, a good example that we can like, I can give you. 
especially after these uh, immigrant policies. Uh, Cynthia, can you talk specifically about DACA? And so we heard DACA talked about earlier on. Can you talk about how the instability with DACA is impacting your community and what work is being done? You just returned from DC, correct? Mm -hmm. So just spill all that, please, girlfriend. All that. I'll try to concisely spill all of that. Um, so I am a DACA recipient, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Um, and with that, I had the opportunity to receive a work permit and social security number for work purposes only. And I think it was mentioned earlier, 800,000 individuals across the nation also are in a similar situation as I am. Um, a lot of times, and what folks don't understand, right, is that DACA was a lifeline for a lot of folks, especially folks that live in Arizona and Texas, New Mexico, the border towns where there is explicit xenophobic uh, racial profiling and racial biases. Um, and so I'm always reminded of that, right, whenever I go to DC, because here in Washington, we're really privileged when it comes to having driver's licenses for undocumented students or undocumented people, um, in-state tuition for undocumented people, and state financial aid for undocumented people as well. Um, and we're sort of at a turmoil, right? You know, in 2012, when the first applications went live, um, we kind of did it under the impression that our information was going to be kept safe. Um, it was a promise that politicians made, and it really alleviated a lot of the worry that some of uh, DACA recipients had when they wanted to apply. Um, that's kind of not the case anymore, right? Like, even though some folks uh, have said on the national level that our information is not going to be put for uh, deportation proceedings, that is not like a guarantee that has to happen, right? Um, and so, right now, in terms of fixing uh, this sort of ordeal that is going on with DACA and uh, losing this lifeline, we're pushing forth for the 2017 DREAM Act, which is one of the most progressive uh, policies uh, in any DREAM Act that has been introduced in you know, the history of all DREAM Acts. There's been a lot, um, none of them have passed, moral of the story. Um, and so that's sort of what DACA recipients now are banking on, um, especially those that are not able to renew, which is a good chunk of ours. Well, and and I, I think this is a really important point that you make that I wanna make sure we all understand, is that in 2012, the American government said to undocumented people, come out of the shadows, register with us, and we'll give you permits to stay. And classroom teachers like myself said to students, do this, but now the issue is, is that they're all registered with the federal government. And so, whew, they're all now registered with the federal government and the federal government knows where they are. And so, this presents an, an acute and immediate threat to our neighbors and our community and our students and people living in our community that like, like we, we, we have to have a conversation about and we have to put pressure on politicians about because the idea of the government rounding up 800,000 of the best Americans, I found very revolting. And if you don't find revolting, I don't want to know you. Okay. To you all. Uh, what are the specific struggles your communities are going through right now? And what are the ways that folks who are not a part of your community, but are part of our community, the greater community, can help? Uh, I guess I was going to speak randomly. But... Um, one of the one of the things to I guess are people facing 
more uh, this is very struggle is that health people that, that doesn't have insurance because they don't have a social security number uh, kind of like they don't have a, a chance to go to the doctor and like you know they do the regular checks uh, some people can um, can even if you they're sick they have to live with them because they don't they don't have the opportunity and let me say this. Um, first, I want to like thanks to all you guys to be here. Really, I appreciate like people as you come here to hear our voices. And also, uh, I want to say that same time. Oh, I want to say that might you not live in those struggles? Doesn't mean those struggles don't exist. Everybody have struggles. I, you know, this very um, logic, but. Uh, the people who doesn't have that privilege to have a social security or green card, they're kind of like suffer more. Like many of you guys can choose uh, where to live if you guys, I guess, if you guys have the money to pay for the, the house or for the for the apartment. But many of undocumented people, they don't have a they don't have the choice. They have to live in, in the chili house because you know the. That's the only place that they can rent. And like kind of those kind of those problems is the people facing every day. Like there's a um, parents that they cannot speak English and then I kind of afraid to go into the meetings in the school because they can afraid to they got picked up there. And you know like that 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 doesn't help to their kids. And how we can have a well, educate community when those kids doesn't have help in their home. So, if I can just put on my Tacoma Schools hat for a moment, uh, Tacoma Schools has put on wax that they will not cooperate with ICE and will not cooperate with immigration authorities. And like speaking as I don't know, I've been I've been described as like the unofficial mayor of the east side of Tacoma. Uh, uh, <laughs> so frustrated. Don't swear. Don't swear. Uh, shut up, Nathan. Go ahead, please. <laughs> um, that's that's a really big question, Nate. Um, and I think what a lot of folks don't understand is that these are very unprecedented times. Um, these are times where our community is very literally under attack. Right. Shortly after Trump took office, he put out an executive order that essentially gave authority to the Department of Homeland Security to be more effective at detaining and deporting our people, our neighbors, like Nate likes to say. Um, he's proposing more funding to go into internal enforcement, meaning raids and um, more money into detention centers and also enforcement at the border. Um, this is all causing our community to not only suffer uh, physically, mentally, but also emotionally as well. Um, and I think I've like shared the statistic before that it's still super mind-boggling to me that there was a recent study done of pregnant immigrant women whose children at birth now have lower weights at birth than they have 
ever, right? So like this is something that is affecting our community psychologically. My job is to go into my community and tell them that there are folks advocating for them, such as myself, such as you all. It is now our job to actually do the advocating, right? Like this isn't time for us to sit idly by and not do anything. The struggle is real and the time is now. Okay, so a question to both of you then is what does that advocacy look like? So we have, I don't know, a hundred adults here with connections to hundreds of other adults here. What does Washington Dream Coalition need the people in this room and the people watching on the live stream and the people who are gonna watch this later on to do? I think for one um, is to organize and connect our immigrant communities with Know Your Right trainings. Um, ICE is really deceptive and they go into our communities and cause a lot of turmoil. Um, and they do them in unethical ways. And not all undocumented immigrants and immigrant communities or immigrants in our community know that they have rights. And that is a lack of our part in our end because that results into actual deportations that may result to the death of folks being deported back into to their home countries. Um, and so one of the things that we have to change is that we have to organize and you know, like yes, going out, being out in the streets, vocally advocating is definitely one way to do that. But organizing also means teachers handing out Know Your Rights cards to the students and parents. It means pastors being able to provide sanctuary spaces or spaces for healing, right? It means um, that the community is coming together, that if they know that one of their neighbors is being detained or is in deportation proceeding, that y'all jump on that bail money, that y'all jump on that calling your congressional um, person, that y'all jump on making sure that that person stays in the community that they're living in. So, Vanna, specifically to your community, to, to, the, to the Cambodian community here in Tacoma, uh, what can people in this room do to support you all? I feel like I want to connect to the Tacoma school system more than anything because the children... They suffer silently, and you can tell by their grades or their behavior in school. If you see a child that is not acting normal, then reach out to them. And one of the things that just happens based on the fact that I'm the MC of this is that educators are often in the room very heavily. So if you're an educator right now, uh, like this is, this is a call to action for you all. So, Cynthia mentioned the idea that we need more Know Your Rights trainings, and you all do the Know Your Rights trainings. Uh, is there one coming up in the near future? And if so, how can folks help in the room organize or help you, help, help you with that? Um, we, our group and other groups like the Northwest Immigrant Rights Pro Project and um, Washington Dream Coalition also um, work together to do Know Your Rights presentations. But what we also need is legal resources. We're advocating right now for a legal defense fund at the um, city level. and. Um, we need that to keep moving forward in um, a direction that actually puts resources from the city into um, Tacoma residents who are facing, um, you know, uh, legal need or access to legal education. So we need that to be instituted and we need um, to take the pressure off of the nonprofits that are already doing this work. Um, we need that to be just a basic step and to providing more resources. So we do provide Know Your Rights uh, um, trainings, and that's something that uh, we're doing to address the gap 
in, in legal services, but we also need um, people to start moving towards the direction of recognizing that um, our people, um, our you know, brown, black folks are um, disproportionately affected by the lack of re legal resources, and so we need us to start having a conversation about you know, what does the new civil rights kind of movement look like? Um, is it recognizing that most of you know, people who I identify with, people who are me uh, Mexican, are being detained, and that we are, um, as you know, in the Northwest Detention Center, 80% of the people leaving the detention center are going um, are from Spanish-speaking communities. We really need to start talking and naming what that is. And so, it's legal resources. It's also recognizing and pronouncing, you know, that hey, I'm here and I exist, um, and we are together in our community and we're working on this, but we also need other people to recognize that too, people from um, places of privilege and you know, the city government. Cynthia, the last time I saw you was actually in this room mm -hmm. and you were planning for the city council meeting for the uh, Legal Defense Fund. Can you update the room? Well, first of all, just it's been mentioned before that essentially if, we, we, we all have watched Law and Order enough times, you know, you have the rights to remain silent, you have the rights to an attorney, if you can't afford an attorney, da da da. That's only in criminal cases. In civil cases, you don't get guaranteed representation, and immigration law is civil, our civil cases. So what is the status of your effort to push for that, and specifically, how can folks help with that? I think I'm going to pass it on to you to come with microjustice, um, because pass they've away. definitely been the key well, leaders. Don't pass away, but pass on. <laughs> <laughs> pass. <laughs> um, so... But, we're still waiting to hear back from, um, so we're part of the um, Immigrant and Refugee Task Force, and so is Vanna and Luis and um, Amanda, who's also in the audience. And we're, uh, we are waiting um, to hear an update from the city about um, when our next task force meeting will be, but also we are going supposed to move forward on October 12th with a safety and vitality meeting to talk about the um, Legal Defense Fund. and. Um, so we're still waiting for an update. I know there's people in the audience who represent city government, and um, I'm sure that they would also be willing to speak up and affirm that that's going to continue. Um, and we're just waiting on that. Let, yeah. I'm dumb. Let me ask a very specific question. Would it be helpful for your work if every person in here was to call their local city council person plus the at-large person and say that they want a legal defense fund for our neighbors? Yes. Would that be helpful to your cause? Okay, so, now don't clap because it's homework. <laughs> homework for the room right now is, is bang the phones to your city council people and talk to them about why you support a legal defense fund for immigrants in the state of Tacoma. Like, that, that, that's actual effing homework to everybody in this room, self-included. Okay, I've, I can tell from that corner of the room there's a ton of questions, and so we're gonna come to questions next. And with the questions, we're gonna invite all of our experts back up. Or to, so we're gonna take a very, very quick, very quick, I mean it again, three minute break, for real three minutes, and then we'll do Q&A. So if you have questions, get your questions in, please. Thank you. Thank you. So, refill your beers, refill your wine. So it's now Q&A time. We're taking questions from index cards, via Twitter, uh, mainly from Kenny, it looks like on Twitter, but that's okay. And we have our whole roster of experts here, so we're just gonna run back and forth with microphones and make it happen. And Lindsay, go. 
Okay, wait, I have to go to this one first. We have been standing here saying, go to your city council member, and there is a tweet that says, I'm supposed to know who my city council member is. Yeah. And we did like, yep, what, what? So like, go back to ACHH1. So what I would recommend to anybody is, if you don't know who your city council person is, grab your phone right now and download that amazing app that Pierce County has, and it'll tell you who your city council person is, it'll tell you who your county council person is, who your legislators are, and also what citizen oversight boards you're eligible for. And can I say about talking to city council members, there's a city council member who's present in the room right now, and I walked up to that person and said, I'm sorry, I'm trying to break your phone. And he said, please do, please do. Uh, back at the Dose of Happy Hour number one, I said the following and I mean it, and hear me here. All politicians bow to the appropriate amount of political pressure. Woo, and if, if, no. If you want to have, if you, if you actually want to have a legal defense fund for our neighbors, we have to make the politicians in our city understand that's what we want. So call your, call your city council members, call your local person, call your at-large person, and call the mayor, please. All right. Yeah, just, if, you put, if you go into whatever your app store is and put Pierce County, Washington, Civics, it'll come up. Yes. You can also ask, ask Siri. Siri, apparently. Here's County Washington. Okay, there are also lots of questions about where to get information to hand out to students. I know that Hope has been posting some, um, but where else can we get information for a lot of us are teachers, for our students and, and letting them know where to go? I have United We Dream stuff on my door, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so United We Dream is uh, our national affiliate, or no, national, we're an affiliate of the national organization. Um, so Washington Dream Coalition, we get most of our messaging and information from them. Um, I would also defer to Northwest Immigrant Rights Projects. They have been phenomenal um, and have definitely put in the work into providing like frequently asked questions that even like I had that I found the answers to from them. Colectiva Legar del Pueblo, which is uh, where, where Sandy was coming from, they also have amazing uh, and fantastic information as well. Could you say that with a gringo accent, please? <laughs> Colectiva. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's C-O-L-E-V. No. No, wait, wait. Colectiva? Colectivo Legal Colectiva. Yeah. Damn it. So, Colectiva Legal de Pueblo. Yes. And that's a group of immigration attorneys out of the South Puget Sound, South King County, who are doing the work. Yes. Okay. yes. okay. So, some of, let's stay kind of in the school vein. What did Tacoma School District do to set policy about not assisting ICE? And what can we do to encourage others to do the same? Anybody from Tacoma Schools that knows? <laughs> Look How at Bernadette avoiding eye contact. Look at you. Look at you. Okay. <laughs> so I, 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 I will take a swing at this, and I will say that Tacoma has put out several uh, very positive, very broad statements on principle, but is lacking specificity about the work. The, the, the broad kind of arches of it and the broad painting of it are that we will not cooperate and Tacoma schools will not provide information to ICE. Uh, the less specific thing is what will the, the SROs who are school- uh, I wanna shame I'm, you I'm, I'm going, was fun. I'm going there, hold on. The school resource officers in schools, Thank what you. will they do? But the issue is, 
Tacoma Police Department has said they will not cooperate with ICE. So, there's, so Tacoma Police Department says we don't cooperate with ICE. Tacoma School says we don't cooperate with ICE. But the question is about school police officers within schools. Yeah. It seems that both saying no is something, but that hasn't been put out specifically. The other thing I would say is, is that schools in Tacoma do not have concrete reaction plans and concrete action plans. So if ICE shows up at Browns Point Elementary tomorrow, like what will the school do? That's yet to be articulated. Okay. Oh, 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 you done messed up. So Ms. Ray, please. So I would add that. Wait, wait, who, who are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My name is Bernadette Ray. I'm assistant principal at Wilson High School here in our proud city, formerly a Lincolnite. And um, my school resource officer does not act without the direction of administration. So he doesn't arrest a kid unless I say, that's a lot of weed, he needs to go to jail. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he does not act unless we give him the direction to do so unless it is, you know, far and away a crime. So he is not going to go to a classroom and remove a child um, for any reason unless the administration gives him the direction to do so. So if ICE shows up tomorrow, I, as a principal, will go to jail to protect my babies. That's what I'm talking about. That's it. principals I know in the room who agree with me. And then if I may actually add something. There are plenty of teachers that would be right Can I add something real quick, Lindsay? So why that is really important, right, is that what often happens is that young people get put into the cycle of, uh, you know, the school to prison pipeline, right? And like... Let's all be real. That does happen. It disproportionately impacts like black and brown students. It's a thing. Um, and why that harms immigrants and undocumented immigrants specifically is because that information is then put in a database that then has ICE has access to it, right? So when we're talking about making sure that we're protecting undocumented folks and immigrants, we have to make sure that the information, personal information, does not get, ultimately get into the hands of ICE, right? And like this might be a shocker, and I don't know, y'all might be like super like, whoa, that's really radical. But we also have to decriminalize like small and petty offenses, because that is another way that our communities are being attacked. Just personal plug really fast. I sat down with Cynthia uh, for like episode five of my podcast and talked about like this idea. And like the thing that you said that really like resonated with me is, is like you're the most responsible 20 something that I know, like early 20s I know, but, but it's because you have to be. And you can't go out and do what Becky and Travis do because <laughs> Becky and Travis won't get deported and you will. So... Um, okay, so a little bit more about like protecting the students or children that we love. We have questions as, as homeowners, what rights to protect DACA kids in our own home do we have if we're talking about like our son's best friend, for instance, on this card, or other children in our neighborhoods? Lawyer. Yeah, what's the law there? So, I mean, so that's a, I mean, that's a good question. I think that's relevant sort of broadly, right? So, you know, the Constitution protects gives you pretty substantial rights in your home, right? So so ICE cannot enter anyone, right? The police can't enter your home without without a warrant or your consent, right? So this is one of the sort of really important pieces in a Know Your Rights training, right, is is that, you know, you have rights to your home. And so so now I'll say, like, if there's a warrant, right, then, then it's a little bit of a different story, right? Um, uh, ICE right now is not getting warrants. 
Uh, again, real judicial warrants, right? So, so that's one of the tricky pieces, you know, when I go around and, and give Know Your Rights trainings is this sort of, you know, you not only have to sort of have the basics, right? Like, I can say no to someone who's, you know, a, a law enforcement officer, right? I serve the police. If they say, can I come into your home? I can say no. Um, but then I have to be able to, they're going to say, oh, no, no, I have this, I have this piece of paper. And they're going to hold it up. And it's going to say administrative warrant on the top. Um, and it's going to have a signature, and it's going to look kind of official. Um, and I have to sort of be savvy enough, right, to say, wait a second, like, is that signed by a judge? It's not signed by a judge. Like, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to open that door. Like, you stay outside. I'm going to stay in here. Like, we're just going to hang out like that for a little while until you go away. And so, you know, th that's really, really important, right? And so that distinction, right, a judicial warrant versus administrative. And again, I just hate calling it warrants because it's not at all a warrant. It's just a piece of paper with an ICE officer's signature on it. But, but that piece of paper, which they call a warrant, is, is not enough to, to give them permission. So discern is you want to look for it, right? So you need the, the one that gives them permission to enter. And again, I mean, the downside of not letting them in is they're going to, like, bust down the door, right? They're not going to arrest you for not letting them in. They're just going to bust down the door. So, you know, if you're not sure, you know, you can make the decision on whether or not you want your door to be whole or not and, and take that risk. But, but, but the difference is, right, that, that a judicial warrant will have the name of a court on the top and a signature of a judge down at the bottom, right? And the other ones say administrative warrant, and they just have the signature of an immigration officer, right? So that's the distinction. Um, so everybody posts that everywhere possible. Like I don't know how you even spread that outside of this room, right? Have a bit more I'd have no idea. Way. Yeah. So there's some information. There's some really good know your rights information online actually that you can fa you can find um, that actually have some some pictures of both, right? So you can actually see. I mean, and they're just examples, but they see some examples of sort of what an administrative warrant can look like and then what a judicial warrant can look like. And again, they're going to look a little different, but, but that can be a, a really useful piece. Can I be really real and awkward, as I want to, as I want to do? <clears throat> Never. If you're white and middle-class-ish, they're not going to kick your door down. So if you have the neighbor's child or, frankly, the neighbor's grandmother or everybody you want to shelter, then, like, please do. Because... They ain't coming for you. Like, one thing that the Trump administration has shown me very clearly is, is like, they really love effing with brown people, and they don't like messing with white people unless they're women and disabled. And so, like, <laughs> shelter them in your house. And, you know, frankly, hey, shelter them in your house, and then call me. Like, <laughs> I'll show up, I'm loud. <laughs> I'll, I'll live stream it on Twitter, or, or, or rant awkwardly, like whatever. He'll but at like, least run around in the driveway and yeah. like distract them, right? <laughs> You're a good distraction. I, indeed. Okay. It, 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 well practiced. <laughs> okay, so there's some more legal kind of questions, and there are two that are definitely about like, I'm confused, why are these civil cases um, with no guaranteed right, but also isn't it federal law, and how are deportation cases civil when they're dealing with the federal law? How yeah. is that happening? Big questions. Um, yeah, so I, I think that civil criminal distinction is 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 sort of uh, right where the courts have drawn this line. Um, I think that you know a lot of folks have talked about how that might be sort of a false dichotomy, right? The consequences of deportation are so severe, right? You're faced with you know a lifetime of exile from the country that you know, from your family, from your community, versus like the consequences can be like a few days in jail, um, which is you know not good, but um, but but maybe maybe not the same, and so. Um, so yeah, I, I think that distinction is, is, is probably false. That's where the courts have gone so far, um, right? Civil cases also include like, I'm suing you because you ran in the back of my car, right? And in that case, like neither side gets a free lawyer, like which maybe makes sense. Um, but, but obviously in the, in the 
you know, in a situation where you're facing like government power, right? Government prosecutor up against you with really severe consequences, to me, that seems to be, look a lot more, right, like a criminal case. And so that's sort of some of the basis of, of our arguments, right, in our suits for why it should be. It could also be a change in the law, right, in some proposals in Congress uh, from some uh, members of Congress, a very small um, minority of them uh, so far, um, has been, has been, have included provisions like that, right? That is something that Congress could change, um, but right now hasn't. So. So I guess that's some of the distinction. It's not, it's, it's like a the long... The answer is it doesn't make sense. No, the, the answer doesn't is make a sense. judge says so. Okay. Right. Well, right. Over the years, right, this is built up, right? That's Multiple judges says, say so. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. this is the point that Will was making earlier on. The idea that being deported yeah. is a much worse consequence than being incarcerated for a year. But if you're facing a year in jail, you get a guaranteed lawyer. If you're being deported, you don't. You said it, yeah. But if you <laughs> face right. a year in jail... Sorry, I'm a good listener. Said, ...you may yeah. lose status... So then you're a day over a year, as Vanna just said very quietly. Right. And that's why I think like my organization is really clear that everyone has to really adopt an anti-deportation stance. Right. Like deportations hurt all of us and not only uh, hurts the person that is being deported, not only hurts the family immediately, it hurts the entire community economic community, political community, social community, right? Folks should focus about rehabilitation and rehabilitating people in the community that they're at. It really doesn't make sense, right? Like deportations don't make sense, logical sense. And so that's why, right, if y'all wanna be really great allies, start talking about that anti-deportation stance. Okay. Add that to your talking points along with that it's not the job of local government to enforce federal law. Hey, and, and just another little thing, I, I think that, you know, in particular, right, around, around, around DACA, right, one of the harmful things, I think, around some of the, the focus around DACA has been this focus on, like, they're, they're really good immigrants, right? And I think that, that you know, they're, they seem very impressive, right? The ones I know are very impressive people, but I think that that, that narrative, right, that what we want to do is we want to help good immigrants, right? But there's bad immigrants, right? I mean, Trump, right? Bad home brace or something. Uh, you know, I, I think that narrative is a really, really dangerous narrative, right? And that, and that is one of the points, right? If you read those press releases that Will was talking about, right? Like, that's what they're trying to pick at, right? Is they, they redefine everyone as a criminal, right? And then they say, no, no, no. You know, look, like you reasonable person, right? We all want to deport those bad criminals, right? And, and soon enough, right, they're redefine everyone as a criminal, right? And so I think one of those points that you really need to be really clear on, right, is that, is that no one should get deported, right? You may or may not believe that the criminal justice system is horribly broken and racist, but the, the fact that, that immigration, right, is, is then a second piece on top of that that only some people get, right? That is very clear, right, whatever you believe about the criminal justice system. And so... You know, I, I think that being clear that no one should get deported needs to be sort of at the, at the root, right, of where you are on, on immigration policy. It, really fast, is there a question specifically about the Southeast Asian community? Because I want to get vent. No, ask it. Do you have one? Fine, yes. Thank you. So, oh, I do. I was going to ask her one. Can I ask her one? <laughs> we, we book you first. So, so, so what, what do you see as sort of one of the different pieces, like what's, what's different about the immigration issues facing, that folks might not know about issues facing um, the Cambodian and Southeast Asian community in Tacoma and, and, and around the country? Our struggle differs by, we don't get deported right away. There is a, a scheduled time 
and usually it's been annually around November. And Tim, I work closely, well, it's Coma Healing Awareness Community works closely with Tim, NERP, and uh, it seems to be scheduled for us. And sometimes they throw us something off the schedule. Recently, there has been two this year. And uh, the immigration policies from 1996 that the Clinton um, administration had signed has affected us because we use survival skills to survive the streets of Tacoma because we were raised in poor neighborhoods. So we turned to gangs and um, all these other highly criminal activities to survive because the government does not support us the way that they should. Uh, bombing our country and then inviting us over and then deporting us because we choose to survive these cold streets. So it seems to be scheduled for us and we don't have enough resources or support and not enough uh, community members are brave enough to step up and speak about the issue because we feel that nobody cares about Cambodian folks. So, but here I am. Hi. Awesome. So, well, I have a question that sort of, I think, would be different for different groups, definitely, and that is kind of what steps do refugees have to get through to get somewhere else, so especially Washington. So who do they talk to first? And I think it's probably different for refugees from different countries or immigrants from different countries. So what are the steps that kind of lead people from home birth country, two different places, especially Washington? Who do, they, who do they talk to? How does that, what's the path? There is, there is no path. I mean, there was no instructions on how to survive in this poor community. Uh, we weren't given the proper resources. We weren't given the proper support. Uh, we were Khmer Rouge genocide survivors. So when you come from a country who is all about killing each other and stuff, all you know is to hurt each other. And when you come here, you know, how do we heal? And it seems like we're being more oppressed and conditioned to living by these ways that we're not used to and you don't teach us, but then you're fast to criminalize us. So. Um, I was at a press conference back in, I want to say February, after the Trump administration announced their first travel ban. And the press conference was with Susan Hutchison, the chairwoman of the uh, Washington State Republican Party. And she was sort of called upon to defend the policy on behalf of the Trump administration in Washington, to the media in Washington State. And you know, one of the argu arguments she made was that um, refugees, you know, we don't know who they are. They're not vetted. When they come here, there's not an adequate vetting process. And what refugee resettlement organizations will tell you is that the average wait time um, to get through the refugee process is 18 months to two years. And it involves uh, FBI screenings, medical screenings, in multiple rounds of interviews. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very long and stringent process. I mean, imagine um, you are a refugee because you are facing persecution in your home country. That's what makes you a refugee. And, you know, the wait is 
two years in a lot of cases in that situation before you you come here. So this just food for thought. Yeah, I always think that's sort of such a sort of um, distorted talking point, right? Because if, if I was trying to come, right, if I was trying to come to the U.S. to do harm, um, I, I think that the idea of going to a refugee camp, waiting for 18 months to two years, and then getting sent to some random country in the world, right? You don't get to, like, pick which country. Right. And so, like, you, you, you can't, like, I'm going to plan to come to the U.S. because I'm going to sneak in through this process. Like, it is, like, the absolute worst way to do it. So refugees, beyond all the sort of human rights reasons why it's absolutely offensive, but um, just sort of rationally, it doesn't make any sense. No. Just locally, really yeah, fast. Yeah. Uh, Tacoma Community House is the point of contact for most refugees who resettled in Tacoma, and they are tragically under-budgeted and underfunded. And so, like, if, if folks in the room are looking for places to direct money, uh, Tacoma Community House is a point of arrival. They're in the heart of the hilltop, and they, they do amazing work. I think that we have some other good populations that are not just refugee populations, but, like, immigrants, migrant populations. Like, what are the other pathways that people are entering our communities? Um. I can try and answer this question. I, uh, I feel a little bit awkward answering it, but I will say that some, I don't know if people here have heard of the term um, economic refugee or people who are uh, forced through uh, to migrate um, because they're either, um, you know, they were self-subsisting on a farm. Um, a lot of people from... Um, certain parts of Mexico are forced to move because the um, corporations move in and kind of overdevelop the land and then ruin the land that they that families have uh, subsisted on for um, a long time. And so um, that's another way that people um, migrate and um, through border enforcement uh, that has become even more dangerous um, over the last um, 30, 30 plus years. So. Um, and through more enforcement and through in, like internal um, enforcement, like the Department of Homeland Security presence, um, it is it puts people in a state of fear. So, um, you know, I know we're talking mostly about kind of like the legal um, mm -hmm. categories that people are facing as um, as refugees, and that's a real thing. Um, but there's also this kind of like other understanding of the, of the reasons why people end up further north into, um, for example, like Washington State. And um, I don't know. I, I just kind of like, I wanna, can, can you ask me the question again? Um, so we're really just understanding like kind of what are the pathways for people to migrate or immigrate into, especially Washington State or other places. So what are, who do they contact first? How is it that they um, travel or kind of select destinations? like? We're trying to understand kind of the pathways. <clears throat> well, this is very, very hard to understand that because um, same time we just you just go, yeah, yeah and <laughs> yeah, uh, and like like I said, uh, I was talking with one of my friends last last Saturday, talking about how how can people when they traveling they choose a place to go, and they can spend few mm -hmm. few few weeks maybe months and come back, you know, with, without problem. But immigrants, like she say, when they don't have like, yeah. when they lack of opportunities in their country, mm -hmm. they have only one choice, going to another country where they have more, uh, they can have a, 
uh, very quiet or light. And so they just go. They don't know, like, who's going to be in the way. And that's how they reach. They, you know, they have, they have, that, that's how they put their light on, on reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, especially in the Mexican thought, they, we say, uh, we just go and we don't know if you, what we can find. Maybe we can find the dead, but we try. And soon as you, soon you, soon you get here, you just, if you're lucky, you have a mic, you can find somebody and can help you. But if you don't have a lucky, you just have to, how do you say, um, we say this, uh, I didn't hear that way. You just got to do it on your own. Yeah. 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 No, and we appreciate that. And thank you for sharing. I know it's kind of awkward, but I think we want to know where our neighbors are coming from and how we can help them. And I don't think that a lot of people in this room are too concerned with the pathway. We no. just are wanting to know. And so we really, really appreciate you speaking to that because I think it's important for us. Really quick. So for my community and my people, it's through word of mouth. Okay. And in 1979, we were settled in Mineral Wells, Texas from Thailand. And uh, through the leaders who arrived first in Texas, uh, they had a meeting and stuff and asked each other, where is the best city to settle? You know, where can we raise, (laughs) where can we raise our kids? And Tacoma came up, you know, not knowing. Uh, But, you know, Everything happens for a reason, and it's a beautiful turnout tonight. And thank you, everyone, for coming out, uh, and it shows the community a lot. Um, if I could just add to that real quick. Please. I did a story for NPR uh, two years ago when uh, I went to a town in rural New York, and um, this was uh, about two hours outside of Manhattan, It was a town where there were a lot of Spanish language restaurants. There were a lot of farm workers. They were all from Guatemala, and they were all from a particular town in Guatemala. And they had been coming there for about 40 years. And I mean, I went to this town in Guatemala, and I did a story about how that connection happened, and the first guy who went from that town to this town. And the, I mean, the bottom line is that migrants, immigrants, tend to move to places where they already have family mm-hmm. and friends. Because if you were moving to a country that you had never been to before, you would go to a place where you know at least one person. And that's kind of how it, how it happens. No, it's, that, you know, it's good. And we want to... Isn't that how pretty much everybody ended up in America? Right? Except for the people that were already here? Right? Um, okay, so I have some other questions that are not quite the same vein. We're getting a little back into politics. And one is just, can law students work with under or unrepresented people held in detention centers? Yeah, maybe not all that interesting for everyone. Um, but um, so yeah, who, under, under, somebody, under some circumstances. <laughs> under some circumstances, okay. you can talk to us. Okay. If you are a law student who would like to work. <laughs> okay, the other one is what kind of access do NERP lawyers have to the Northwest Descent Detention Center's main facilities? So kind of the question is really how aware are we about the conditions there or is it veiled? 
Um, so as we heard, right? I mean, it's it's modeled on, and they sort of right brag about it's modeled on the maximum security prison. So so a lot is uh, is is very hard to sort of know. Um, we meet uh, over the course of a year with about forty five hundred people. Um, out of the about six thousand people who come through the the detention center, um, so uh, so we see a lot of people, but not everyone. Um, I think we have some idea of of all the things that happen, but, but you are not in the facilities, seeing the facility. I think that's kind of what the no, question yeah, is. No, yeah, no, no, we're not. So we, we meet with people at the facility. We go to the facility almost every day. Is, um, is anybody but, in the facility who doesn't work for the facility? Well, there's a lot of people who, well, I mean, I guess um, it depends on if you ask the attorney general who would say that the folks who are detained who are forced to work are workers. Um, I think that Gio would say that they aren't. But so, no, the answer I think is what you're looking for is no. Um, You know, we are, there's sort of attorney meeting spaces, confidential attorney meeting spaces we meet, but it's not sort of where folks are living, right? So there's these big, you can can get um, on tours occasionally. The, the, the I, Geo does these sort of tours for the public that are these propaganda tools. Tours? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they and they don't charge you for them, but but you you have to listen to their propaganda, um, and they'll tell you how lovely it is and how no one would ever want to leave um, their lovely facility. If I may, for a minute, this is one of the the biggest the the, the biggest civic frustrations that I have. I'm just going to say it to the room and to the millions watching at home. Here in the city of Tacoma, we have one of the largest private prisons on the West Coast. In the country. Operating. Oh, oh sorry. We've gone to just shaming the world. I'm like, the best. those were all easy words. Um, being operated by a private corporation at the behest of the federal government with basically zero oversight from the local government. And it's just one of those things that, like, whenever people ask about it, the city council goes, well, it's the port. And the port goes, well, it's the city council. And the port, city council goes, well, it's the feds. And so, like, it doesn't belong to anybody, but it belongs to all of us, and our neighbors are there. Yep. And it's just one of those things that, like, it, it, it is the peak of civic dumb shittery and also, like, <laughs> outrageousness that, like, our neighbors are incarcerated in a prison built on the port near the railroad tracks that nobody has access to. I'm done. All right. Can we... <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that I... In, 2008 or 2009 I did I was able to go on a tour and I heard all the propaganda and one of the things that sticks with me is the um, segregation unit was which is a solitary confinement um, unit and um, I have you know I have visited uh, prisons before it does look like a prison Um, the person that was that we actually were able to see in the segregation area was um, distraught and banging his head against bars and saying and calling the the prison guards liars so that that's something that sticks with you you know and um i don't encourage people to just go on a tour and watch people uh you know experience some of the most devastating and up um you know uh, life-changing processes of deportation but i do i if you don't if you're not convinced about a legal defense fund, it, it would make sense to go and visit um, people who are in detention and see what it's like and listen to their stories because it will, will, it will change your mind, you know, and, it, and you will see the human rights abuses that, um, that continue. Um. So we have one final question in our hand. 
But I'm realizing this question is a question the room probably can't answer. And so the question is, how much does the Geo, sorry, how much does Geo Group, who operates the prison detention center, pay in taxes to Tacoma? Oh. And so, that's something that I, I, I'm not sure the room can answer right now. So but, I, can, I can try to take a yes. stab at that. So, so just in property taxes each year, um, the Geo Group pays about $200,000 a year to the city of Tacoma. Um, just in property taxes, right? So there's there's certainly other taxes. There's B&O taxes. There's there's other ones. So um, so yeah. So I mean, I, I think um, you know sometimes when we hear uh, some people um, or um, some um, newspapers talking about um, amounts of money that some newspapers uh, <laughs> that 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 might be hard for um, a city that. Uh, that that isn't Seattle, right, to come up with. Um, although I'll note that the budgets are not as different as people maybe want to believe. Um, that, you know, that, that they're literally, right, the, 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 the city of Tacoma is collecting $200,000 a year because Geo Group, right, is located in, in, in the title flats, right? So, um, so I, I think sometimes, right, just sort of trying to understand, right, there is this company making profit off of the fact that they're in Tacoma, right, and is paying... Tacoma money and Tacoma is making money off of that, right? And so, um, I, j that yeah. So yeah. So what I want to do is I want to wrap up with a couple of things. One, this is Adult Civics Happy Hour number five. Number six is going to be on election night in November, and we're going to have an election night party about like who won, who lost, and what does it mean. We're taking December off, and then Adult Civics Happy Hour number seven is the rent is too damn high about housing costs. <laughs> in January. And so I would just encourage all of you and ask all of you, join us on, in November and join us in January. And then to my panel of dozens over here, what I want to do is pass, is pass the microphone down the row. And so one of my favorite features of the IWL, the Interstitial White Lady Podcast is, do your fidgeting homework. What's one bit of homework, one thing that you would like people in this room to do to support your community and your community and your community and your work and yours and yours and yours? Our community. Thank you. Whoever, thank you. What's one thing that you would like selfishly for these folks to do and those folks to do to support our, our community? And Will, we'll start at your end since you have a microphone. Read a newspaper, subscribe to a newspaper, listen to the radio, donate to your local public radio station. That's it. Brief. Um, call your council members and ask for them to pass a legal defense fund in the amount of four hundred forty thousand dollars. That would be really great. Like I said before, even if you those experience, if you don't live those experience, doesn't mean those struggle doesn't doesn't exist. The struggle is real, and just think about the people right next to you. Uh, so I think um, trying to tell your own family's immigration story is an important way to sort of connect this across people. So I think that, you know, many, many, many people, right, have, have family immigration stories about why you and your family is here. Um, and I think trying to tell that story, um, because the story is, is, this, is, is similar, right, across history, right? And, you know, you, you can read speeches about how, you know, these people come to our country and they don't, you know, learn our language 
and they and you know and they don't belong and they don't become Americans, right? And you're reading about the Germans, right? That's Ben Franklin talking about the Germans, right? And you know and and and, and so I, I think trying to tell you know your family stories is a way to try to connect, right? Across across an issue that that maybe people um, you know as someone who you know who is white, right? I think that's you know a way, right? Like my family's immigration story is is why I do what I do, and and I think that that. Is a way, right, to, to to connect for people who who may not who may not get it initially. Follow Washington Dream Coalition on Facebook. That's where we put most of our updates and um, ways to get involved. The most immediate one that we're having is on October fifth or sixth. Don't quote me on the date. Um, we are launching our Washington uh, local campaigns to advocate for a Clean Dream Act on the federal level. Um, clean meaning no enforcement, internal enforcement. Um, no enforcement at the borders attached at all, which is usually kind of the compromise that both parties have been able to come to terms with on any sort of immigration federal policy. I want to make it very clear that my relief, that my path to citizenship is not going to come at the expense of putting a target on my mom or my dad um, and their deportation. So. Follow us on Facebook, um, start dismantling that bad dreamer narrative, good dreamer narrative, good immigrant, bad immigrant, um, and really do call your uh, congressional elected officials to advocate for a clean dream act. How to end racism is to smile upon eye contact and uh, just love one another. Call your city council members and the mayor and tell them you want a legal defense fund for immigrants as a starting point, and you want to move toward a legal defense fund for all people facing civil charges. Thank you for coming out tonight. Again. Keep your eyes on the Move to Tacoma Facebook page for information about our election night party in November. We're taking December off for the holidays, and then we'll be back in January for the Rent is Too Damn High. Uh, follow the channel 253 Podcast, Nerd Farmer Podcast, Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, Flounders B Team. It's great local content, and it's... Sorry, and... Oh, oh sweet Jesus. And the Entertainment White Ladies Podcast, and coming next week, the Taco Man Podcast. If you're bad at puns, Taco Man Tacoman, see what you did there? There we did there? All right, there we go. And uh, who groaned? The hell with you who groaned. Uh, and honestly, one just fat, fat, wonderful round of applause for the staff of Black Kettle. Thanks for hosting us. And since y'all love clapping so much, one more round of applause for Adam Weigel from Bootstrapper Studios. And producer Doug, who produces all the Channel 253 podcasts. And I would say to you, each one of these people very earnestly came to you tonight and said, this is the help that we need. Uh, do your damn homework. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Want to learn more about life in Tacoma? Visit movetotacoma.com. Move to Tacoma.com. This is Channel 253.